0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malcanji. briefly yesterday about the power of confession namely the uh, the power of your tongue in that you can release death and life from the words that you speak and uh, we touched on the subject yesterday but today I want to go deeper into that subject into that topic because it's extremely important and I will say that confession and the bible biblical teaches teachings on confession is some of the most practical Spiritual application that you could ever have as a Christian. The the biblical teaching on confession is some of the most practical yet very spiritual application that you could have. Uh, and so this is going to be a very practical broadcast. I'm going to show you seven things, seven biblical confessions. Now I know there's a lot of people they get they get all weirded out when you talk about confession because they've only had. Um, exposure to like those success gurus in the world that talk about the power of your words and all that. Well, let me tell you something. Where do you think the power of words and all that stuff, where do you think they got that from? Remember, the devil's the counterfeit of God. The devil will take what God means for good. He'll pollute it, stain it, twist it for selfish reasons and uh, for perverted reasons. But that doesn't mean that the, the principles are not found in the scripture. The principle of what you say you will have is found all throughout the scripture. You have guys like Tony Robbins, you have guys like I can name a few that they have used or they've taken those proverbial that proverbial wisdom because all throughout the proverbs it it's like one proverb after another talks about the power of the tongue, that you're snared by the words of your mouth, that uh, he that opens wide his lips will have destruction, talks about the consequences of negative confession and the blessing or benefits and rewards of positive confession. What they've done is they've taken that, they've perverted that, they've twisted it for selfish gain. Anything the Bible has to say on certain things, financial stewardship, power of confession, um family relation all those things especially the financial stewardship one all of that can be taken polluted twisted perverted and used for selfish gain and so but that does not mean that there are those principles found in the scripture and so i want to go through the biblical approach to confession and we're going to start out in hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 this is what the actually let's start with verse uh 22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, this is the uh, foundational scripture for this broadcast. Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our, my translation says hope, most translations says faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast what? I said it yesterday. To hold fast means to cling to. It means to tighten your grip on it. It means to hold it tightly. It means do not depart from it. Do not move away from it. Stick with it. Hold fast. What are we to stick with? the confession of our faith, what is the word, we know what the word faith, we've talked about faith, defining faith from the Bible all throughout the week, but what does the word confession mean in the biblical Greek? In Greek, the word confession is homologios, homologios, which literally means to say the same thing, that's what it means, to say the same thing, so When we refer to biblical confession, we're talking about saying the same thing as God. We're talking about repeating God. When you say the same thing as God, you are confessing what the Bible says. Confess means to to say the same thing, to repeat what one has said. And in referring to biblical confession, we're talking about as to what God has said. And I want to repeat this. I've said this on other broadcasts, and I want to say it right now. You can never quote God and be wrong. You can never confess what God has said about you, about your situation, about himself, about the devil, about this world, about finances, about health. You cannot quote God in any area that uh, the scripture speaks on and be wrong. Whenever you are speaking the scripture, you're right. That's why for me, it's very easy to preach because all I do is just say the scripture. I just quote the scripture. I just confess what the Bible already says to be true. David said, all those things concerning your precepts, I consider to be right. I hate every false way. This Bible, this B-I-B-L-E is the truth. It is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. The angel told Peter when they were in prison in Acts chapter four, when he released Peter, he said, go now and stand in the temple and tell them the words of this life. The word of God is life. It is quick, it is active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce to the division of spirit and soul, meaning it has the power, the capacity to affect you in your spirit, to affect you in your soul, wherein lies your emotions, your decision-making processes, and everything else that has to do with how you feel. And then it says, it pierces even to the division of bone and marrow, bone and marrow. That means it affects even your health. It affects your well-being, bone, your marrow. That The marrow is where the blood is produced. It can literally, the word of God, he sent his word, and it did heal them and deliver them from all the destruction. The word of God has the capacity to heal every type of sickness and disease. And it has the ability to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says the grass withers away, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of God endures forever. What's the writer saying when he says the grass withers? He's saying that opinions of men will fade away. What you're seeing right now is is not eternal. Politicians, ...will rise and fall. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Opinions will rise and fall. People will rise and fall. But something that will endure through the ages... ...and will be steadfast like a rock... ...immovable and steadfast... ...through the ages is the word of the living God... The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And Jesus and his word are one. So you can interchangeably say the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The Bible says it is the incorruptible seed which lives and abides forever. Heaven, Jesus even said, heaven will pass away. Earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. So you can never be wrong when you quote God. So when we talk about biblical confession, we're not not talking about positive confession only. Yes, the Bible has positive things to say, but we're not just talking about positively confessing things. We're not just talking about, when we talk about biblical confession, we're not just talking about saying nice things out loud. We're talking about repeating those things which God has said concerning our lives concerning our situation concerning himself concerning the devil concerning this world and concerning people hallelujah so the word confession is homologios which means to say the same thing i want to turn our bibles to john chapter one john chapter one because i want to show you that biblical figures or characters practice proper confession that this is not something that just stirred on in 1970 or 1950 or something that's a, a, of, a, of recent memory. This isn't something that just came out in the last 100 years. This is something that you're going to see even John, not the apostle, but John the Baptist, using in his own life. Verse 19 of John chapter 1 says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? Verse 20, he confessed. It says, he confessed. Who are you, John? He confessed. What did we say confession is? Homologial, saying the same thing as to what God has said about you. He confessed. He said the same thing that God had said about him. And he did not deny, it. but he confessed. I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then are you? Elijah, I am not. The prophet, nope. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an account to those who've sent us? What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? When speaking on confession biblically, there's three things you need to learn to confess about yourself. And John will see him uh, confessing something about himself, who he was created to be, his destiny, what he found himself to be from the scriptures or what was declared over his life from the angel uh, in light of biblical prophecy in Isaiah 41 and, and so on. But there's three things you need to learn to confess about yourself daily. One, and we're going to get through those seven confessions, and the seven confessions have to do with these three things. One is who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is important to know, and not just know it in your heart to be true, but use your mouth to speak it. Number two, what you now have in Christ, what now belongs to you because of your joining together with Christ, having become a joint heir. Romans 8 says you are a joint heir with Christ Jesus, a joint heir. What's an heir? An heir is someone who has received an inheritance from somebody. And so God has an inheritance for the saints. You read that in Ephesians 1. And in Christ Jesus, we have become a joint heir to what Jesus inherited because of his obedience, even his obedience to the point of death on the cross. He inherited. Romans 5, uh, Revelation 5 talks about how he became an heir of wisdom and riches and power. In Christ Jesus, we've become a joint heir of that wisdom and of, that, of, of those riches, and of that power, and of that dominion. The Bible says we reign with Christ. Hallelujah. So what Jesus inherited, because of his obedience to the point of death, even the death of the cross, we have become joint heirs in. A joint heir means we share the same inheritance as Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we have to learn to confess, one, what we are in Christ, two, or who we are in Christ. Two, what we have in Christ. And three, we need to learn to confess what we now can do in Christ Jesus. What we now can do. Philippians 4.13, a well-known quoted scripture verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So John here uses this principle of confession in answering the question that the religious uh, or the religious leaders sent to him they said what do you say about yourself i want to ask you today what do you say about yourself what's your daily confession about yourself are you constantly saying that you're a failure are you constantly saying that you can't do much in life are you constantly saying and repeating what the devil is applauding when you say things like i'm not wise i'm not strong i feel weak You know, the devil stands by and he applauds those words. He loves when you confess exactly what he desires for you to speak because the devil knows if he can affect your confession, you will rise or fall to the level of your confession. So he knows that if he can get you to confess poor things about you, he doesn't even have to do one thing about your situation or your life. He can take a sabbatical. He can go on vacation because your own confession is what's going to set a snare in your life. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse verse 2 says, a man is snared by the words of his mouth. A man is taken captive by the words of his mouth. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says a fool, a fool receives blows because of the words of his mouth. A fool is ensnared, ensnared. He's entrapped by the words of his mouth. Think of a bear trap, a bear trap. I was watching a movie recently and a kid, he stepped on a bear trap and it grabbed his leg and it went almost through the bone. It's very tight, it hurts. It's meant and it's designed to trap up big beastly animals. And you have to see it this way. The Bible says a man is trapped by the words of his mouth. That when you speak wrong things about yourself, when you speak things that are counter the word of God, you actually are falling into those bear traps that the enemy has laid out for you. So the enemy lays out traps for everyone. Those that speak biblical confession about themselves avoid the traps. Those that revert back to their old nature and speak things in line with their old nature, their sin nature and their Adamic nature, fall into those traps. But I believe and I prophesy in Jesus' mighty name, you will never fall into another trap um, because of your confession. From today onward, your confession will change. And every trap and ensnarement of the enemy, you will avoid. You will miss in Jesus' mighty name. You will not be ensnared. You'll not be trapped up. The Bible says, "The way of the upright is like a highway." A highway means it's it's free, it's flowing, and there's no hindrances in it. What do you say about yourself? John said, "I listen to this." He confessed, "I am the one, or the voice of one, crying in the wilderness." Make straight the way of the Lord. So, what did John confess? He confessed what Isaiah 41 already said about him. He found, he had heard obviously from his father because the angel spoke to his father saying he's going to be the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make way the straight ways of the Lord, or make make way for the Lord and prepare and make his path straight. And so, John, what he did here is he discovered from the Bible. Who he was on the earth. What his role was. What his position was. He, he located from the scripture who he was. And so we need to do the same thing in our confession. Locate from the scripture who we are. Many Christians are ignorant to who they are in Christ. What they have in Christ. And what they can do in Christ. And because of such, they are held captive by limitations. They are held snared up. The Bible says, my people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge, because of their ignorance. My people are destroyed. When you're ignorant to what the word says about you, it leads to a life of constant setback, constant frustration, which is not what God desires for you. I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord And remember, he says, I'm not a man that I should change my mind concerning you. So his thoughts haven't changed. And he said, my thoughts are to give you a future and a hope to bless you and not to harm you. To prosper you and not destroy you. My people have gone into captivity. Isaiah 5.14, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Don't be a perpetual victim of hell, not because... Uh, Simply because you're ignorant to what the word says about you. It's not because the devil's on your back specifically. It's not because the devil has targeted you specifically. The only reason the devil is allowed to continue his reign in people's life, even after they become Christians, is because of their confession. Because of their confession. You keep saying you're cursed, guess what's going to happen? You'll stay cursed the devil will gladly accommodate your negative, poor, unbiblical confession. The devil will gladly accommodate your negative, poor, and unbiblical confession. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 4, one of the most important scriptures to understand because in this understanding this scripture, it'll actually open up your eyes to understand many other scriptures. And it says here in Ephesians chapter 4 and 17, Therefore I say to you, And testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And you can also say you should no longer, you know, part of our walk is our talk. Hallelujah. So not only you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, you should no longer talk as the rest of the Gentiles talk. Because part of your walk is your talk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, Listen to this, verse 18, Ephesians 4, being alienated from the life of God. What does alienated mean? It means to be distanced. It means to be a stranger to. It means to not have any acquaintance with. It means to be foreign to. It means to be far from. The Bible says you will be far from the life of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be far from the life of God, which is the source of help and the source of power in my life. I don't want to be far from the blessing of God. I don't want to be far from the inheritance and reward of God. I want to be close to that. I want to see it while I'm in the land of the living. But the Bible says you will be far from the life of God. Why? Not because God has chosen to take you through the valley. No! You'll be far from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in you and because of the blindness of your heart the blindness of your heart so he says because of people's ignorance and because of people's blindness because they have not seen you know i've said this before and i say it again god sees you in christ jesus god sees you as more than a conqueror god sees you as blessed with believing abraham God sees you as the head and not the tail. But it's not enough for God to see you that way. You need to start seeing and saying those things about yourself. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. It's not enough for God to say that you're more than a conqueror. You need to see it yourself and say it, confess it, repeat it for your own life. Verse 19, who being fast feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, put off. This is important. You need to put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts the old man means your adamic nature. If you haven't put off the adamic nature, you still talk like you're bound to sin, you still talk like you're under the grip and the the reign of terror of the devil, you still talk like you're under his tyranny still, you still talk like you're a failure and a defeated foe, you still talk like you're a wretched deprived thing, you still talk about those things. The Bible says you'll continue to grow corrupt according to the lusts or deceitful lusts. The Bible says the old man is growing corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. But you must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says how we are renewed. The Bible says be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye renewed by the what? The transformation of your mind. Be ye renewed, be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Ephesians 5 says, we are washed by the washing of the water of the word. The word of God cleanses our mind. The word of God renews our mind. The word of God is a mirror By which when you look into, you start to see yourself in Christ. Just like a natural mirror, it shows you your natural blemishes. It shows you if you have a pimple. It shows you if you need to put on some makeup. It shows you if you have some gunk in your eye. A natural mirror shows you what your natural physique looks like. In the same vein, a supernatural mirror shows you what you look like supernaturally because of who Christ has made you to be. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, we all with unveiled faces, unveiled, there's nothing hindering us from seeing this because the word of God is before our eyes. With unveiled faces, the scripture says, we are looking into this mirror and we all with unveiled faces are being transformed into the same image. As we look into this mirror, we are being transformed into the same image. How, from what? From glory to glory by the spirit of the Lord God Almighty. We are being transformed. So when you look into the word and you start to download into your heart what, who Christ is. And now that I'm in Christ, who Christ is, is, I've become an heir of those same things. You know, the Bible is a book about Jesus. The Bible is a book about Jesus and the Bible says it's a mirror because it's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me and the life I now live, I should live by the son of God who lives through me. The Bible says it's God who is at work in me and through me to do his good pleasure. Hallelujah. So when you look into this mirror, we're seeing who Jesus is, and we've been clothed with Jesus, so it's now who we are in Christ, and as such, we go from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Verse 24 says, when you are renewed in the spirit of your mind, you have now put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Hallelujah. So essentially, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's saying the way that you put on the new man, the way that you put off the old man, the way that you no longer walk in the, f- in the flesh or in the, the, as the rest of the Gentiles walk, the way you do that is by making proper confessions in light of your renewed mind, which was renewed by the, r- the word of God. Hallelujah. A major part of putting on the new man daily, put on the new man, he says, which is created according to God, in the image of God, in the likeness of God. If you want to be like God on the earth, if you want to be godly, being godly means like God. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, it says if we walk, if we say we abide in him, we should also walk even as he walked. If we say we abide in him, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to start showing this world That we are indeed Christians, which Christian literally means little Christs little Christ I'm not saying you are Jesus I'm not saying you are the Savior of the world I'm not saying you are the Christ or the Messiah I'm saying that the word Christian literally means little Christ when it's first used in Acts chapter 11 in Antioch they refer to them as Christians what they were saying the original Greek literally means these men are Christ-like or little Christ they look like Christ to us that Jesus that we nailed to that tree years ago it seems to us that he has replicated himself he has duplicated himself he was like a seed sown on the earth and now there are many that look like Christ talk like Christ, act like Christ and that's in fulfillment to John chapter 14 verse 12 which Jesus himself said I am going to the Father but don't be discouraged because they that believe in me they that abide in me the same works that you see me do ye shall do and greater works shall you do because I am going to the Father you'll never tap into the greater works of Jesus, if you do not uh you if you do not make greater confessions about yourself in light of the scripture. There are different types of confession in the Bible. Because when you talk about confession, people get like confused because, well, you know, we confess, I confess my sin every single day. Confession of sin is a is a confession, a biblical uh method of confession. Not method, but it's a biblical, hmm. It is a biblical confession. The confession of sin is a biblical confession. But often and far too many times, anytime confession is brought up, it's only focused on sin, confessing sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 9, uh, 10, verses 9 and 10, that we are to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Confessing Jesus is Lord means I was wrong. I turn from sin, I recognize you as the master of my life. So when we are born again, we have confessed our sin. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession of sin is a biblical confession. Number two, there's confession of faults to one another. James chapter five, confess your faults to one another so that you may be healed. When you confess your faults to one another, now you do not need to confess your sin to another person in order for you to be forgiven, but sometimes it is good. If there's like a stronghold in your life, if you're struggling with pornography addiction, alcohol addiction, any type of addiction, it is good to confess your faults to someone that can hold you accountable and talk you out of it because in doing that, iron is sharpening iron and that man can be used as a vessel for God to lift you out of that stronghold of addiction and bring you into the liberty that you so desired. It's good to confess your faults to one another. It does not mean that you need to confess your sin to another person in order for God to forgive you, no, you confess your sin to God, he forgives you, but if something is repeatedly bringing you down, if something is a source of constant frustration in your life, and you feel like there's a snare, or or a rope that has kept you bound, one of the ways that you can receive healing in that, or breakthrough in that area, is to confess your fault to one another, number three, biblical confession you can make, is the confession of the tenets of faith, you see this in the apostles creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe. I believe in the Virgin Birth. These are good biblical confessions that you should know about and make them. It's solid doctrine. Solid doctrine. You know, I talk about this oftentimes. There's a lot of worship music that's so garbage. I wrote on Twitter uh, just yesterday, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read it right now because, or it was a day before yesterday. I'm gonna read it now because uh, I think it's pertinent to what I'm saying. But I wrote on Twitter it's alarming how many worship songs, and this is under the subpoint of confess, confessing tenets of faith, confessing doctrine. It's alarming how many worship songs that are totally not doctrinally correct at all. Because they talk about wanting to be with Jesus and pleading for Jesus to come and stay with us. I wrote, he literally cannot get any closer to the New Testament believer than he is right now. Colossians 1 Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So there's a lot of worship music that says, Jesus, come live in me. Jesus, come be with me. Jesus, I need to, I need, I, I want your presence. It's not doctrinal correct to say things like that. It might sound nice, it might get you to tear up. It might get you to have your heartstrings pulled and all that. But doctrinally, it's incorrect to say that because the Bible says we're not to ask, Jesus, please come down, be with me. He actually says in Romans chapter 10, don't say in your heart, who's gonna bring Christ down from heaven? Who's Jesus, we need you to come down and be with us. Oh God, we, we, we need your spirit right now to be with us. He's with you. He actually can't get any closer than he is right now. He's not just with you, he's in you. He's in you. There's a song I used to sing until I was corrected. And you know, I'm very particular with how I sing and what I sing. I'm not gonna say, Jesus, I need you. I have him. I have him. He's in me. To confess that you need him means that you don't have him. And if you don't have him, then you need to get saved. I have him. I have him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people need to hear this today because you've been singing songs that have kept you depressed and feeling like God's not with you. He's with you. You don't need, uh, my goodness, some of the junk that goes out there. And I know the the, the viewership's probably gonna go down now because I'm offending everybody. And it already is going down. I'm offending a lot of people. And that's all right. I don't care who I offend. I wanna be biblically correct. I don't care if this offends you. I wanna be biblically correct. Correct. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives in you. The Bible says that uh, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit of truth who dwells with you will live in you. So what are we doing? Singing, Lord, I need you to be with me. He's with you. What you need to do rather is confess, God, I thank you that you're with me. God, I thank you that you're by my side. God, I thank you that you said I'll never leave you, and nor nor will I ever forsake you. God, I thank you that you set me low. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. You know what's insulting to God? God, be with me. He already said I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. So quit saying I need you. Say rather, I thank you, that you're with me and that you're behind me and that you're above me and that you're beneath me and that you're all around me, Christ in every eye that sees me, I thank you that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. So there's tenets of faith. I got a little sidetracked. I have to say that. Obviously, the Holy Ghost wanted me to say it. But there's the tenets of faith, which refer to uh, repeating, God, confessing doctrine. But today I want to zone in specifically on confessions of faith, specific faith confessions. Psalm 91 is a faith, specific faith confession. You read what the psalmist writes in Psalm 91. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my, I will say of the Lord, verse 2, I will say of the Lord, I will say of the Lord, I will confess of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He'll cover me with his feathers. Under his wings I'll take refuge. His truth will be my shield and my buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand can fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Only with my eyes I will look and see the reward of the wicked because i've made the lord my refuge even the most high my dwelling place no evil shall befall me nor shall any plague come near my tent he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways in their hands they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone you shall tread on the serpent and the cobra or the lion and the cobra the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot because he said his love on me i will set him securely on high i will deliver him Because he's known my name. He'll call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will honor him and deliver him. With long life I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Right there you see what I'm talking about today. You see a confession of faith. The Bible says we have in the same spirit of faith as they did. They believed, therefore they spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Faith, all the faith in the world in your heart will do you no good until you turn it loose. All the money in the bank will do you no good until you withdraw it. And when you speak the word of God, you're making withdrawal on the faith of God that's on the inside of you so that you can see things change on the outside. Faith is turned loose. It's released when you speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat of its fruit. You can speak to things that do not have physical ears and they will respond to you. Hallelujah. Jesus rebuked the fig tree, and the word was speaking to the thing that he created. Remember, Jesus is the word. He spoke to the fig tree. The fig tree is something he created. The word, all things were made by the word, and without the word, nothing was made that was made. And when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, it responded. It withered up. It heard what Jesus said. You can speak to things in life. You can speak, and things will turn for you. And you don't stop saying until you start seeing. Let me get in it for the sake of time. Seven biblical confessions you must make daily. Number one, I am born again. I am born again. So if you're taking notes, Bible confession that you must make daily. Number one, I am born again. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't feel like... Stop saying what you feel and start saying what the Word of God says about you. The Bible says, We have known and believed in Him. And the Scripture says, He that believeth on Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 John 5, it says, These things have been written so that you may believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and in believing that you may have life in His name. When you believe In God, in Jesus, in what he did at the cross, in that he's raised from the dead, that your sins are forgiven, you are born again. You're born again. You've turned from sin. You've repented of sin. You've been regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit. You are born again. Jesus said, unless one is born of spirit and water, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The water refers to the word, you believing in it. The spirit refers to the conviction the Holy Spirit put on you that made you to turn from sin and turn to God. You've been born of water and spirit. You received the word, believed that the Holy Ghost came on the scene and convicted you of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Your life changed. You're born again. If you wake up in the morning, you feel groggy and you don't even feel saved, it doesn't matter. You should make the confession, I am born again. And here's the good news. When you're born again, John 3 says, you are born from above. You're born from above. And the scripture says that which is born from above is above all. When you get born again, you are born above your circumstances, you're born above. Sickness and disease. You are born above poverty and the curse. You are born above sin and the devil. When you are born again, you are repositioned to be above all of these things. You're above earthly limitations. You've come above Adamic nature. You've come above restrictions. Matter of fact, in the book of, I believe it's in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, it says, Since you are born again, or since you've now Been saved. Why do you keep being restricted from the elementary bondages of this world? Why do you keep living as a human being? Why do you keep having the expectation of someone who's not born again? Your expectation should change because I've been born from above. I expect things from above now. I expect to be above and never beneath, to be the head and not the tail. You're born again. Hallelujah. Number two, biblical confession you need to make daily. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Everything has become new. Hallelujah. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not a renovated version of my old, my old me. There's some preachers, that's how they preach salvation, that, you know, it's just self-improvement. Jesus didn't come to to improve you. Jesus came so that the old you can be crucified with Christ and not a new you come back, a new man, a new creation emerge from you. Let me read this in Ephesians chapter 2. This is the reason, you know, I've been quoting Ephesians quite a bit today. And the reason... And and that's the reason why I love the book of Ephesians so much is the first three chapters literally shows you who you are in Christ. You're not some whiny baby anymore. You're not some loser or failure. You're not, you're not some disadvantaged person. You're not even the foe of God anymore. You're a friend of God. It shows you that you've been seated in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing, obtained an inheritance, that you have access to the surpassing greatness of God's power. The first three chapters talks about how this glorious power at work in you can produce that which is beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine according to His power. Hallelujah. And then the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, talks about the practical application of it. So in Ephesians chapter 2, And verse 14, it says, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, which was sin. Verse 15, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, he took away in his flesh that which made us an enemy of God. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 and the latter part of the verse, So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That's why the Christian is not a regular human. The Christian is a new species of being. The Christian, the one who's been born again, has died to its Adamic nature, has died to the sin and the, uh, the worldly el- elements. That man... Is a new creation, a new creature, something the world has never seen before. The Bible says, and I said it before in Ephesians 4, we put on the new man created in Christ Jesus. So you're not your old sinner, you. You're not what you used to be, as weak as you were. If you confess your, if your confession is in line with the old creation, if your confession is in line with the Adamic nature as to who you used to be, then that's exactly what you'll see unfold in your life. Your life will look no different from anyone else. But if you start to say things like this, I may be in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm a new creation. I'm born from above. I might look like everybody else, but I am certainly not like everybody else. Hallelujah. You'll see things will change. You'll see your mood will change. You know, people are waiting for right feelings to come before they start making right confession. You don't wait for right feelings to make right confessions. You make right confessions, and then right feelings will come. So I'm going to say this again. The gospel does not center in on self-improvement. And any gospel that talks about you just an improved, uh, uh, you're an improvement of your old self is a false gospel. The gospel is, Not him, it's it's not just Jesus being with you now, but you're still your old, wretched old thing. Bible even says, Paul says in Romans 7, he says, who will flee me from this wretched body? Who Who will free me? Speaking of who he was before he came to Christ, who will free me from this body of death? He says, thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ, I've been set free from the laws of sin and death by the spirit of life that is now in me. Hallelujah. You're a new creation. Bible says in Titus 2, you've been regenerated, renewed, according to the Holy Spirit, which he's poured out on you in lavish manner. Number three, confession you must make daily. I am delivered. I am delivered. I need, hum, I need deliverance. I need deliverance. I'm sure you do. But the only thing that's going to get you delivered is understanding that your deliverance has already come the critical key to actually receiving deliverance is understanding that you are delivered. Not you will be delivered. Not in God's timing deliverance shall come. You are delivered. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Who hath delivered us. Who has delivered us. Who has delivered us. I'm convinced that most preachers and Christians just need a grade two English education. Go back to past, present, future tenses of words. Because a lot of preaching, it's like they don't understand the tense of a verb, the way they speak. Some of you are looking for deliverance, and I want you to know that in God's timing it shall come. Who has delivered us. From what? from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the dominion of light. Hallelujah. Listen to Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to me, all who hope for deliverance. Isaiah 51 verse 1. Listen to me, all who hope for deliverance. Are you watching me right now and you're hoping for deliverance? deliverance? Are you watching me right now and you're seeking deliverance? Are you watching me right now and you are still pleading with God for deliverance? This is what he's saying. Listen to me. Here's how you can have it. All who seek the Lord, consider the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were mined. Yes, think or consider Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who gave birth to your nation. Abraham was only one man when I called him. But when I blessed him, he became a great nation. And so the Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Isaiah is saying, you who seek deliverance, here's the critical key that will unlock that deliverance for your life. Consider Abraham. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by consider Abraham? He's saying... Look to the life of Abraham. Look at how he operated on the earth. Look at how he was unhindered. Look at how he dominated in his day. That's your portion. Matter of fact, let me read this. Luke chapter 13. Here is Isaiah 51 practically played out. Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over double and could in no way raise herself up. 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, 18 years looking for deliverance. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said, Woman, you're loosed from this infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation and said... Uh, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Come and be healed on them, but not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered and said, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his, don- his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So, verse 16, Luke 13, 16, highlight this in your Bible. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham... Whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years. Be loose from this bondage on the Sabbath. Jesus saw that woman was a daughter of Abraham. Well, who's a daughter of Abraham? Who's a son of Abraham? What does Galatians 3 says qualifies you to be called a son or a daughter of Abraham? One thing, faith in Christ. Therefore, those who... Have faith in God, the Bible says. These are the sons of Abraham. The Bible says, therefore, those who believe are blessed with believing Abraham. So if you believe in the gospel, in what Christ did, you have now been uh, placed in the category of those who are called the children of Abraham. You're a child of Abraham. And Jesus sees this child of Abraham Who's been bound for 18 years looking for deliverance may have gone from one deliverance preacher to another deliverance preacher and nothing happened. Jesus shows up. He heals her, looses her. And he says these words in chapter 13, verse 16. When the Pharisees got irritated because he delivered her, he says, ought not this daughter of Abraham be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? He said, this one is a child of Abraham. Her destiny is not to be bound, is not to be held captive, is not to be oppressed by any devil, by any sickness, by any infirmity, by any depression. Because she is a daughter of Abraham, she is entitled. Her birthright is freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You look at Jacob, you look at Isaac, you look at Joseph. They live free and they live in dominion on the earth. They live blessed. Why? Because they were the physical descendants of Abraham. We are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And the Bible says, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise or recipients of the same promises that Abraham received from the hand of God. Your birthright via redemption is freedom. Your birthright is deliverance because of redemption. That's why Jesus said, "Ought not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, be loosed 18 years too long. So when the Bible says, you who seek deliverance, consider Abraham your father, that's what it's saying. Consider Abraham, he's your father. And as your birthright, hallelujah, as your birthright, you are to be set free. That's why it it irritated Jesus to see that woman bound. The woman didn't even come to Jesus and say, Jesus, please heal me. He just saw her there and knew that she had been there for 18 years, crippled up by a spirit of infirmity, a demon of sickness, 18 years. It irritated Jesus. It angered him. It caused him to, to groan in the spirit and say, Come here, lady. Enough is enough. You're a daughter of Abraham. This isn't your lifestyle. This isn't your portion. This isn't your destiny. This is no way to live. Be loosed. Receive your portion. Receive your inheritance. If you're watching right now, saw someone say, "I'm sick for 12 years." Ying ying. Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're loosed from that infirmity. Your portion as a child of Abraham is not sickness, it is health. Your portion as a child of Abraham is not depression, it is joy. Your portion as a child of Abraham is not anxiety, it is it is it is peace your portion as a child of Abraham is not fear it is boldness by the Holy Ghost your portion as a child of Abraham is not weakness it's strength your portion as someone who is of the family of the faith is not death it is life it is not defeat it is victory it is not failure it is triumph hallelujah 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 So you who seek deliverance, stop saying, I need deliverance. Start saying, I am delivered. For he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the dominion of his dear son. Listen to this in Acts chapter 26, Paul speaking of his encounter that he had with the Lord. One of the things Jesus told him in verse 18 is, Well, let me read 17. I will deliver you from Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So Paul's mission, Jesus said, I'm sending you now to do this, to open up their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance. What inheritance? The inheritance of a child of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. That they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. But notice in verse 18, the first thing I'm sending you to open their eyes. That's where it comes down to. That's what I'm trying to do. Open your eyes. I'm trying to open your eyes. I'm trying to show you. You don't need, you're not looking to be delivered. You're not seeking deliverance. You have been delivered. The devil wants to keep you bound by telling you you still need to do X, Y, and Z if you'd like to be delivered. Salvation itself was not enough. Anybody that tells you that salvation itself was not enough to produce deliverance in your mind and anywhere else in your life, that person has preached to you a different gospel and has m- maligned the blood of Jesus. Anyone, I heard a preacher say that the blood of Jesus is not enough to bring deliverance that we need to go through deliverance steps and heresy of the highest kind. I, I doubt that man will make heaven. You have trampled on the blood of the, of the son of God. You have insulted the spirit of grace. The blood of Jesus is all you. Anyone that says it's not enough is probably not gonna make heaven. And I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. I'm just saying if you don't have faith in what the blood has done, then you don't have the faith required to get into heaven. And there are people who say that salvation itself was not enough. Do you understand the very word salvation in the Greek is sozo, which literally means to be delivered? So when you're saying I'm saved, you're saying I'm delivered. It's a good saying I'm saved, but I need deliverance. It's an oxymoron. There are two words that cannot go in the same sentence. It's like saying I'm married, but I need to get married. It's like saying, I'm a married bachelor. You can't. You're either married or you're not. You're either delivered or you're not. The devil will keep you bound if you keep on saying, I'm telling you, the devil will gladly accommodate your poor confession. He loves to hear you say, I need deliverance. I need deliverance. He loves to hear you say, I wish to be delivered. He loves that because he sees now, your eyes have not been opened to the truth that deliverance has come. That's why Jesus said in John eight thirty two. They are my disciples who abide in my word and they shall know the truth and the truth will set them free. Hallelujah. The truth will set you free. The truth is you've been set free. Now you need to receive it. Quit going by what you're feeling. Well, I'll, I'll confess I'm delivered when I feel delivered. All right, you'll never feel delivered because confession precedes Possession. And not of the promise. And not the other way around. It's not possession of the promise and then comes confession. It's confession of the promise that leads to possession of the promise. Confession leads to possession of the promises of God. And it's not to be flipped the other way. Galatians 5.1. Paul speaking. Stand fast, therefore, with the freedom by which Christ has made you free. Galatians 1:4, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age that he might deliver us. He's already delivered us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Second Peter 1.4 By these great and magnificent promises we have become partakers of the divine nature. Having having, having, past tense, having escaped, escaped escaped the corruption that is in this world. Come on somebody. I want you to type it down. Type it out in the comment section. I Am delivered I am delivered number three confession number four I am righteous even as he is righteous how many of you know we're all just sinners saved But no I'm not a sinner I'm not a sinner don't call me a sinner because I'm not a sinner because the Bible doesn't call me a sinner well if you're saying you're not a sinner you're saying you've never sinned you've never sinned a day in your life since you received Christ no I may have sinned it doesn't make me a sinner I may have made a mistake I may have made an error it doesn't make me a sinner. Does not make me a sinner. Positionally, he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might become positionally the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So don't call me a sinner. I am not a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. First John 3, 7 says, Do not be deceived. He that practices sin is of his, of the, his father the devil. But he that practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Now people get confused because they say, well, you know, I can't say that because, you know, I I sinned just yesterday. You may have sinned. You may have made a mistake. You are not a mistake. You may have made uh, an error. You are not an error. You may have failed. You are not a failure. I may have gone to McDonald's. I am not a hamburger. I may have gone into a car. I am not a car. I may have, you know, played hockey. I am not an NHL hockey player. Just because I did something does not mean I identify with that thing. Don't identify with sin, identify with righteousness. The Bible says he has justified us by faith in God and what Christ did for us. Justified. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter three, a vision of Joshua the high priest seen in heaven and he saw the devil That was accusing the brethren, accusing him before God day and night. The devil kept bringing accusations. He's dirty. He's a sinner. He's a sinner. He's been sane, polluted by this world. And God said, Shut up, Satan. Is this not my brand that's been plucked from the fire? And he then commanded the angel to take tongs from the altar. Uh, Sorry, he commanded the angel to take the turban off uh, Joshua's head and the dirty garments off his body. And he said, bring new garments and put a new white and clean turban on him. That is a symbol of what happens to us when we come to Christ. Our old sinner self is done away with. Romans chapter 6 the Bible says, in baptism we were baptized into death as Christ died. And as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we have raised to newness of life. The Bible says in Romans 6, continuing, it says that the old body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, that sin no longer should reign in our lives, for we are no longer under law, but under grace. The Bible says we are no longer sinners the scripture says we are now instruments of righteousness for God to work in and through us on his behalf hallelujah so the next time the preacher says how many of you are sinners in this place lift your hands and if your hands not lifted I just know you are a sinner because you just proved to me you're a liar you can you have my permission grab the hymnal in front of you get it nice and tight in your hand and whip it right at his forehead. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. But he's totally wrong. And if he makes you put you on the spot and makes you feel bad for it, you can quote 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 21. And that that one scripture will put, put that to rest. I am righteous. Type that in the comment section. I am righteous, even as he is righteous, washed by his blood. You keep saying t- telling yourself you're a sinner, you don't even know what the blood did. The blood did not just come to forgive your sin. The blood wasn't just shed to forgive your sin. If you just got your sins forgiven, you'd still go to hell because you're not just a forgiven sinner. We have our sins forgiven. But I said it before, we're now a new creation and God would not make an unrighteous new creature. What God makes, He makes righteous. You are not recreated, regenerated, renewed as an unrighteous new thing. When he made the new creation, he made the new creation righteous with his own righteousness imputed to it. Number five, I have dominion. It's about to get fun in here. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17 through 19. I have dominion. That's right. I'm not at the mercy of the devil. I am not subject to him. He is subject to me. I am not running from him. He is running from me. I am not dominated by demons or devils or anything the devil would fashion and form as a weapon sent to prosper against me. I am dominated over him. The Bible says no weapon formed against me can prosper. Nothing he could ever do can dominate me, but everything I do will dominate him. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, and the 70 disciples returned with great joy saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That scripture is very important because the Bible says Satan has fallen from heaven like lightning. A lot of people say that, um, you know, they read in Job that Job, in the book of Job chapter 1, it talks about Satan being in the presence in the courts of God and conversing with God. That was before Satan got his rear end. He has no more. Revelation 12 says there's no more place found for him in heaven. He cannot do what he did in Job. The devil's not going up to God now and asking for your life. He can't do it anymore. He does not have audience with God anymore. The Bible says the ruler of this world has been judged. The Bible says Satan has fallen from heaven like lightning. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, that that old serpent, that dragon of old has been cast out of heaven and there is no more place found for him in heaven. And the good news is, is where he cannot go, that's where you are positioned, Ephesians 2 The Bible says, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Satan got cast out of heaven. We are seated in heaven. The devil doesn't have access to me. The devil cannot touch me. The devil cannot access me. The devil has no right to come near me. The devil, I I am in a place where he cannot even inhabit or dwell anymore. Just like you, if you were in space and you got out of a spaceship without any type of astronaut equipment, you would die you would freeze you would fall into an everlasting hole of nothingness well in the same vein the devil doesn't have a space suit he doesn't have an astronaut suit he cannot inhabit the very environment that you and I dwell in hallelujah i am seated with christ in heavenly places i was seated below i was below the devil before we were all under his fist of tyranny before he was Governing our lives before the Bible says we were under the control of the spirit of the power of the air. We had no ability to flee. We had no ability to break free from him. He was rightfully, rightfully, I say it because Adam, when he sinned, he sowed those keys of authority that God gave us in Genesis 1 when he said, have dominion on the earth, Adam had dominion on the earth. When Adam sinned, he took that key of dominion and gave it to the devil. The devil then took control over the affairs of this earth. That's why when Jesus was tempted by him in the wilderness, the devil said, Brought him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said, all this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. A lot of preachers have said, no, Jesus didn't bow because he knew all those kingdoms belonged to him anyways. That's not even true. At the moment of the devil speaking those things, that, those kingdoms, and even to this day, there's the cosmos, the order. Many governments are under the influence of the devil and I don't think we need a word of knowledge on that one. We can just see based on some of the laws and legislation that they put in place. But when the, when the devil spoke that to Jesus, there's a lot of preachers that say, that. well, Jesus knew it wasn't true. Well, they wouldn't have tempted him if it wasn't true. It was true. That's why it was the temptation of Christ. It was true. The devil has some level of influence in the affairs of this earth especially those who yield themselves to them, politicians and kings and rulers and all that, that have influence, when they yield themselves, their will to the devil, he can legally use them. But the thing is, once you come to Christ, I read it before, Colossians 1.13, you've been delivered from his kingdom. You've been delivered from his rule. You've been delivered from his government. And you've come under a new government, the government of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come under the new government and in this government the devil has no say Because that which is born from above is above all the devil has no say The devil has no ability to influence you anymore. The devil has no ability to control manipulate harass you or molest your life any longer I feel like light bulbs light bulbs are coming on Behold verse 19. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions See, the heavenly authority is over the earthly authority that the devil might use to advance his cause or his agenda. The heavenly authority is above and beyond the earthly authority that he might use to do all these things. That's why Jesus said, I'm giving you authority. Not authority to fight demons. The Bible says, authority to trample on demons. Hallelujah. Trample, underfoot. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of all peace will soon trample or squash, or crush Satan under your feet. Hallelujah. That word soon does not mean one day in the future he's going to do it. That word soon is the same word used in Revelation 1 when it says, these things will soon come to pass. Jesus wasn't saying it's going to come to pass in the next few months, obviously, because here we stand 2,000 years later. What he was saying is these things, when days take place, they will come to pass quickly. So when Romans 16.20 says, the God of peace will shortly or quickly... Or soon crush Satan under your feet. He's saying that when it happens, it's going to be a quick thing. It's a sh- it's a quick thing. It's an accelerated thing. The God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. He'll trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I don't feel like I have the right to use that level of authority. If your name is written in heaven, if you are saved, even if you feel like the pinky toe in the body of Christ, remember the pinky toe is still part of the body and the devil is under Jesus's feet. Doesn't say he's under his knees and anything knee below, he still has authority over. Anything under Jesus's feet is subject to him. You might feel like the pinky toe, and that's fine. But even the pinky toe has more authority than any demon in hell. And the Bible says, these spirits are now subject to you. Let me make this very clear to you. No matter the principality or power or force of wickedness in your nation, your region, your city, the Christ in you is greater than the wickedness around you. And the wickedness around you will never rise higher than the Christ who is in you. 1 John 4.4, greater is he that lives in you than anything that is in this world, than he that is in the world. Revelation 12.1 says we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our mouth, the confession of our mouth. You need to start confessing that you've overcome him. You know, when you understand this dominion mandate, you now realize casting out devils is an easy thing. It's an easy thing. You should wake up in the morning and say, I have dominion. I can cast out devils. I can heal the sick. The Bible says in Mark 16, you shall pick up deadly you shall pick up serpents, and they will not hurt you. They will not harm you. Serpents, is not literally going and find a boy constrictor and holding it and expecting it not to harm you. That word serpent. Is alluding to the fact of uh, alluding to the reality of, of of demons. Every time it talks about serpents, scorpions, trampling upon the cobra, it's talking about demon spirits. And so when the Bible says you'll pick up serpents, it means you'll you'll toy with the devil. He'll be a non-issue to you. You know, you give a, a toy to a child. You give a, a little tutu bear to my son. He's three years old. The first, maybe it looks fierce, maybe it looks angry, maybe it's a lion and it's got red eyes or whatever. I don't know why you'd give that to a kid, but let's say for the sake of this, you give a lion that looks fierce and angry and my son might not go next to it. He might get uh, afraid at first. He might stay away from it. But then I show him, I grab it. I show him, I throw it on the wall. I grab its neck, I twist it. He sees that this thing can, it's like it can be, uh, this thing doesn't actually have the strength to wipe him out. This thing, it's all just show. In the same vein, Jesus says that you'll pick up dead, you'll pick up serpents. They won't harm you. You'll toy with the devil. You bring, you give that tutu bear to my son now. After having maneuvered it that way, he's going to grab it by the ear and he's going to drag it across the living room floor. Why? Because he realizes it's not a threat. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, "In my name, the devil won't be a threat to you anymore." Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Satan's under your feet. He's not eye to eye with you. He's not over your head. He's under your feet. And I'll say this. He has no room nor legal right to stay in your body, in your eyes, in your back, any pain that you're feeling and experiencing right now, any type of macular degeneration in your eyes, any type of degeneration in your body, any organ that's been misfunctioning and has caused problems, anything in your blood, that has caused problems to your liver and your kidney in the name that is above every other name. That thing gets subdued and eliminated from your body right now. The devil has no right in your pancreas. He has no right in your kidney. He has no right in your liver. He has no right in your lungs, in your heart. He has no right in your knees. He has no right in your back. He has no right in your feet. He has no right in your eyes. He has no right in your brain. He has no right in your mind. He has no right to give you a headache. He has no right. The only legal right the enemy Or the only legal place the enemy has a right to remain is under your feet in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Number six confession you must make daily I have the mind of Christ. You are not stupid, you are not slow, you are not ignorant, you have the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? John chapter 6, the Bible says, there was a great multitude, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. They said, where can we find such a great amount of food to feed all these people? The Bible says, Jesus said, this he asked them, himself knowing what he would do. He was in the wilderness. He had five loaves, two fish. Anybody else would have panicked and said, we don't know what to do. Jesus himself knew what he would do. When you have the mind of Christ, you're not stupid. You're not at loss for words. You're not... Um, restricted on solutions you're not empty of answers you are a solution provider to your generation you're not a liability to people you're an asset because of that mind of Christ working in and through you you are not stupid well I'm not the sharpest tool in this quit saying that your IQ jumped many levels the moment you came to Christ The Bible says, we have not received the spirit of this world to know the things of this world, but we have received the spirit of God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I can think the thoughts of Christ. I know the ways of Christ. I am not without understanding. To them that are outside, all things are in parables. That seeing they may see that they may not see, hearing they may not hear, and, um, and that they may not understand with their hearts, lest they should turn and, and I should heal them. But Jesus said to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Nothing is a mystery in life because I have the mind of Christ. God has shown me his mysteries. God shows me his, his ways. I'm not at loss for words. I know what to do. I'll always know what to do. I'll never be confused. I'll never, and I'm not saying confusion will never cross your mind. I'm saying that when confusion comes in, I confess I have the mind of Christ. I reject confusion. I receive download by the Holy Ghost right now as to what to do in this situation. I have access to the innovative mind of God. I have the ability to create that God had when he created the world in me. God's ability to create something good is in me. I am full of good ideas. Speak to your intelligence. Speak to your brain. Speak to your intelligence and watch it respond. You know, even science has caught up on this. If you start saying, I'm stupid, I'm dull, you actually will kill brain cells. Your body will actually not emit the same amount of neurons which will inhibit your ability to think properly. That's, that, science even agrees with the Bible on that. You say you're stupid, I'm telling you, you're, you've shut your brain off from thinking on the solution. You start, you, you hear something and it brings confusion to me to you and you start saying, I'm confused. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know how to get it done. I don't know what to do. Your brain will literally shut off You've shut off your brain's ability to even think of a solution because you said, I don't know what to do. Instead, saying, I have the mind of Christ. I know what to do. Father, thank you for the instructions. Thank you for the wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, what does it say? Complain about how stupid he is. Complain about how hard life's been because he's not bright. He's never been bright. School, he failed. Never been an A student. Always a D student. No, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give to him generously without upbraiding him or without upbraiding him, up, without rebuking him. He'll give him as much as you need. The Bible says, for the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth proceed knowledge and understanding. The Bible says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You're upright because you're born again. He stores up sound wisdom. Jo- Joseph, by the wisdom of God, preserved the known world from extinction. He saved the world. He was a type of savior in his day, because that famine would have wiped out the entire human race. There would be no humans. Pharaoh saw the wisdom in operation in Joseph's life, and he said, "Inasmuch as we have never seen wisdom like this, in who truly this man is a man in whom the holy, the spirit of the living God is in." He commended a, one who had come into his kingdom as a slave. He commended Joseph publicly. He said, in as much as we have not found such wisdom as this, that wisdom produced mighty works. I'm not talking about wisdom like you sound like Shakespeare. I'm talking about the wisdom that's going to produce mighty works, creative ideas. And then two, I have the mind of Christ applies in the area of your own mental peace. Stop saying, I have anxiety. I have anxiety. Start saying, I have the mind of Christ. Do you see Jesus having anxiety? No, I have the mind of Christ. I don't have anxiety anymore. I have the mind of Christ. Whenever you have a panic attack next, say, I have the mind of Christ. And you'll see that mind will start, will start to to operate efficiently in you. And the anxiety will leave. You feel depressed? I'm just depressed. Do you see Jesus depressed? No, you have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not full of depression. The mind of Christ is full of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. The mind of Christ is not full of anxiety. The mind of Christ is full of peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ is not full of sorrow. The mind of Christ is not full of panic. It's full of serenity. The mind of Christ, Jesus had a holy cool about himself. He was very calm. You have that mind of Christ in you. Type it in the comment section. I have the mind of Christ. And number seven, I finish with this. I am blessed. Seventh confession you need to make daily I am blessed. I am not cursed. I am not unlucky. I am not, there's not a hex about me. I am not under a curse. I am not under a generational curse. I am blessed. Galatians chapter 3, New Testament. You keep thinking yourself to be under a generational curse and you'll continue to be under a generational curse because you can have what you say, whether good or bad. You start saying what the Bible says, Ephesians 1, 3, the Bible says, thanks be unto the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us, has. I just pray I'll be blessed one day. You'll never be blessed that any day. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has blessed us. I'm not working to be blessed. I am blessed. I don't fast and pray to get blessed. I fast and pray for other reasons. I already am blessed. When someone comes and does something nice to me, I don't say I was blessed today. I say I'm blessed and that's why things happen for me. Hallelujah. It's the blessing that produces the things. It's not the things that show whether you're blessed or not. It's the blessing that draws on those things or attracts those things. Jacob was blessed. The Bible says he carried the scent of the field that the Lord has blessed. That's why you look at Laban. Laban smelled the blessing so strong on Jacob's life. He screwed him over so that he would stay 14 years with him instead of seven, which was the original agreement. Laban wanted Jacob near him. He said actually in Genesis, he said, I have learnt by experience that the Lord has blessed me on your behalf. You can carry such a blessing that it not only affects you, it like sets up an environmental blessing for those around you. That even people that are around you, family members, they get like that associated blessing just by merely being with you. Lot carried this environmental blessing. He stuck with Abraham, his his uncle. And as God blessed Abraham, Lot became increasingly great and multiplied to the point where the land could not even hold Abraham and Lot's herdsmen all at once. They had to split because they had become too great. Isaac sowed in a famine and reaped a hundredfold return in the same year where the Philistines were trying to reap minimal crops and harvest. And the Bible says that the Philistines envied Isaac. The blessing of God does not make you a pity to your generation. It makes you an envy to your generation. They envied Isaac, the Bible says, and they saw Isaac prospering until he became very prosperous. Joseph, you look at Potiphar. Potiphar made Joseph charge over all his house. Because he saw that the Lord was with him and that he was a successful man. And the scripture says, he saw how Joseph prospered and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That same blessing is on you. The blessing of the Lord maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow unto it. Now, many people, they think the blessing is just about money. It includes money, certainly, but it's not just about money. I'm blessed in everything. My family is blessed. My children are blessed. My children's health is blessed. My home is blessed. My home, when people come in, they feel blessed. They feel peace. They feel joy because there's an environment of the blessing. My car is blessed. Everything I put my hand to touch is blessed because I am blessed because he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us. Has, has, has. I still feel a curse. Has, has. Either believe what the Bible says about you or just discard the whole thing. I mean, it, he has. Well, I still feel curse. I don't care about what I feel. I care about what is spoken. I care about the word, what the word of God says. I don't care. Feelings are fickle. Feelings are up and down. Feelings will mislead you. The Bible says the carnal man, it produces death. It produces death, instability. Feelings are fickle and they will mislead you. The word of God will always lead you forward and upward. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having been made a curse for us, For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What's the blessing of Abraham? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. You're not going to be a glorified panhandler. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to meet the needs of your generation. You're going to be a solution provider for those that are around you. You will be a blessing. And I'll bless those that bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a sworn blessing God has put on you in Christ Jesus. It's such a great blessing that God even went to the extent that anyone that even blesses you... That blessing, they'll have a measure of it on themselves. I'll bless them. Anyone who's daring enough to curse you, I'll take care and I will curse them. No wonder the Bible says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If that enemy is thirsty, give them bread or give them water. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on their head and the Lord will repay you for he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. It's a dangerous thing to stretch out your hand against a blessed individual because you incur the wrath of God on yourself. I am blessed and I'm uncursable. Hallelujah. Numbers chapter 23, they hire Balaam to curse the children of Israel who had not sinned. And God said, I have not beheld iniquity in Israel. I have not seen any sin in them. And in so doing, or or because of this rather, God has blessed Israel and nobody can renounce that blessing. The Lord has blessed them and nobody can curse them. You are not just blessed, you're uncursable. So stop worrying about that witch in your town that said something. Stop worrying about that social media account that came on your thing that had 666 as their profile picture and said, cursed are you, blah, 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 and did all that stuff. Who cares about them? Every devil in hell, every witch in hell, every warlock in hell, everyone can come together and join hands and curse you. It wouldn't matter because when God is behind you and the blessing of God within you and the greater one living in you, they can curse all they want. The Bible says the curse without a cause will never take place or will not alight. Hallelujah. 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 You're not cursed. You're blessed. That blessing, you see it in Uzziah's life. 2 Chronicles 26.5 As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. I did a little word search on that word prosper. I was interested, you know. Because a lot of people have a problem with prospering they have a problem with we're all about just we're just supposed to suffer we're just supposed to yeah we suffer for the gospel and that people are going to hate us and if we have to give our life for it we have to give our life for it it's not it's not a mystery so everyone that uses Paul's letters that he suffered and all that and they say still so sometimes we've got to suffer with depression and anxiety and poverty and lack sometimes you're, He's talking to, when did you grab the gospel torch and bring it throughout the unreached tribes of the Amazon and suffer? No, you're not. You're in your nice air-conditioned, you're in your nice home, you're in your nice, uh, you know, you have a car, you have a home, you have all that stuff, you have a lot of money in the bank, and you're talking about how you're suffering for the gospel. You're not suffering for nothing. Let's be honest. Let's be straight. It irritates me. When they use Bible suffering for their own, I'm depressed, I'm suffering for the God. No, you're not suffering for the gospel. You're actually, you're suffering at the hands of the devil. And he's deceived you into thinking that it's something righteous that you're going through. It's not righteous. God hates your depression. Learn to hate your depression. God hates that sickness. Learn to hate that sickness. Stop pampering it. Stop embracing it. Stop tolerating it. See it for what it really is. Attack it and fight the good fight of faith so you can lay hold of the breakthrough in Jesus' name. So I looked at the word prosper in the Hebrew, 2 Chronicles six five, And it literally means to be thrust forth with violent might. It means to be rushed, advanced, and make progress. So I put all that together, and I came up with my own definition based on what I've read. That prospering, when God prospers you, it's when he will rush your progress, accelerate your success, He will rush your progress. The Lord made Uzziah to prosper as long as he sought the Lord. As long as you seek the Lord, the blessing of God on you will cause cause God to rush your progress, to accelerate your success in everything that you do in accordance to godliness. Hallelujah. Those are seven biblical confessions you need to start making daily. And I'm going to finish with... My own confession of faith over you. I felt to do this before. I want to make my own declaration over you based from the Word of God and what we talked about today. I want to declare some Bible covenant promises over you today. You are not a failure, you will prosper, you will be Christ like. You'll no longer suffer shame in your life. God will wipe away your reproach once and for all. Your enemies will see your promotion and exaltation. Those arrayed against you will stumble and they will fall. The Lord that began a good work in you will bring it to completion, whether the devil likes it or not. You are no longer to be considered an ordinary person. You are now a champion in your generation. You are more than a conqueror because of him who loved you. You will triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. Doors will open to you supernaturally. And I felt to do this for pastors and those in the ministry. If you're a pastor, if you're an evangelist, the chairs in the room that you preach in shall never be empty. Begin to declare that over yourself. If you're a pastor watching and you've had empty seats, start to speak to those seats. I talked about it before. Even things without ears can hear. Seats, chairs, you will be filled. You will never be empty. There will never be an empty seat in this house. The only problem we'll ever have as a church from this day onward is not enough seats to hold the crowds that come in, in Jesus' name. God will fill this house for his glory. Hallelujah. Seven Bible confessions you must make daily. Write them down. Re-listen to this sermon. Write it down. Uh, make a poster out of it, do whatever you have to do. But these are great things. I'm telling you, and, and you, don't, you don't stop saying this because you said it for 30 days and nothing changed. Moses went before Pharaoh, let my people go. Did Pharaoh let the people go the first time? No, he didn't stop saying, let my people go until they started, he started to see the fulfillment of what God promised them. Don't stop speaking until you start seeing even Elijah did not stop speaking. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He didn't, see in the, he didn't see an abundance of rain. He didn't see a cloud in the sky. He just started, he kept on speaking it. He kept on making that confession. He kept on saying what God had said until he saw what God had said he would do. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you're watching now, the very first confession you need to make is confession that Jesus is Lord of your life. If you've never done that, you need to make that right now. If you're not saved, I'm telling you there's a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. God didn't make hell for you. He made hell for the devil and his angels. God said, I've gone to make a place for you in heaven that where I am there, you might be with me also for eternity. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you ready to meet the Lord? You've never done that. You need to do that now. Pray this prayer with me. If you have prayed this prayer and you've lived for the Lord and you were on fire for God, but you've gone lukewarm, you're not ready to meet Jesus. If Jesus were to come back right now, you would shrink back in humiliation and embarrassment because you've not been living the life you know you should be living. There's secret sin in your life, things that you haven't told anybody, things that only God knows. Today, repent of sin, turn away from it. Get rid of that anger and bitterness in your heart. Turn to Jesus. Come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. That rest is not in alcohol, in drugs, or in women, or in fame, or in money. That rest is in Jesus. Pray this prayer with me. Pray this with me. And believe that as we pray this, you'll be born again. Your sins will be forgiven. And you'll never be the same. Pray this from the bottom of your heart. Father, in Lord, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. Come live in me. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. In Jesus' name, I am saved, I am healed, I am whole, and I'm never turning back. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca, the first link that pops up, is I just got saved? If you can put that uh, link up in the comment section, somebody that's watching on YouTube and on Facebook, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out that form. I want to get something to you free of charge—a little package we have prepared for you to welcome you into the family of God. It's a Bible, some reading material. It's going to greatly help you and assist you. Do that. I look forward to from. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.